Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Welcome to Touchy Subjects, the podcast that aims to make those awkward conversations around domestic and sexual violence just a little less awkward. I'm Sean. I'm Allie. And I'm Sierra. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing Title IX. So recently, the U.S. Department of Education released its, um, its final regulations regarding uh, campus sexual assault under Title IX. Um, and Title IX, just for a little background, is the law that prohibits any type of sex discrimination um, at any federally funded institutions, which in the context we're going to be talking about today are most colleges and universities. So these regulations, um, the way that they've been put into place are because they're the final regulations. So the um, Department of Education went through and actually has these be like formalized to where these regulations will be the regulations to use. Unlike the um, guidances that were issued by the Obama administration, which were done through an executive order. So that's just why the current administration was so easily able to overturn or retract those guidances from the Obama administration and then replace them now with these. The Obama administration's Dear Colleague letter that they sent out, I believe 2011, was done through that executive order. And it was basically giving all of the universities and colleges in the United States specific guidelines that they needed to follow in order to be able to be compliant. Well, because, again, through the executive order, the Trump administration retracted those guidances early on in, the admin- in his administration, and now they've replaced them with these new guidelines. So, Sierra, do you want to talk a little bit about what Title IX means at universities? Just a brief for people out there that might not know, what does Title IX do at universities? Basically, the role of Title IX at universities is going to be protecting the rights of victims of sexual violence. Um, so that's going to be both through prevention and awareness and actively working with survivors to try to get them the justice that they need if somebody were to, um, experience sexual violence. So with this new rule, a lot of survivors and a lot of agencies like our own are a little bit disappointed or a lot disappointed at the, the new rule itself. Um, and as we go through what these new rules actually mean, um, it'll become more evident why this is the case. For sure. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through nine things you need to know about the new ruling on Title IX. And this is from an organization called Know Your Nine. That was a bit of a tongue twister, but we will give you the links so you can explore this yourself. Know Your Nine is an organization that advocates for, um, uh, for students to know what Title IX Um, regulates on their campus and what rights they have under it. And so um, as we talk about these nine things, they're really important. And what you need to know is that at universities, when there is a complaint of sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, or anything that is umbrellaed under Title IX, what happens next is an investigation. And so what these, you know, nine things to know are, they they relate to uh, these investigations at universities. So should we uh, start 
hop right in. Yeah, might as well. So on this list of nine, um, the first one that they have listed is that schools may now dismiss any complaints of sexual misconduct that occurred outside of campus controlled buildings or educational activities. So basically what this would mean is that any complaint that is coming to the Title IX coordinator or the designated person on their campus is, is that if the event took place outside of what that campus entails or outside of like educational activities that were taking place while being like a specific thing for the university, if it happened outside of those things, the schools can just dismiss those complaints or they don't have to look more into those complaints. So the second thing to know on this new rule of Title IX is that colleges must allow live cross-examinations by a representative for each party. Um, and these representatives could be questioned by just about everybody. Um, this is different than the guidelines under the Dear Colleague letter. Um, and so this live cross-examination uh, is, is new. And this is one that is particularly scary to advocates um, because, like we said, it does mean that um, a survivor could be questioned by a family member, a friend, a fraternity brother, a club member, um, a lawyer, anybody uh, on their assailant's side. Um, so this could be scary. So the third one to talk about, um, this one is, with the 60-day timeline removed, schools can drag students through lengthy investigations. Um, in terms of explanation, this one kind of speaks for itself, um, but the process for this investigation obviously is it's able to be put off on the back burner a little bit more so schools don't have to take that responsibility. Um, so again, that's something to be aware of. The next one is if you or your perpetrator go to different schools that are not in a consortium, you can't pursue a case against them. So a consortium of colleges would be a coalition of two or more schools with the intent of sharing resources, improving finances, and educating students. That's going to look different for every college or university, just because not all colleges and universities are in consortium with other colleges and universities. So that's really just figuring out which colleges or universities that person is attending that this would fall under. And then this could also be potentially difficult because if you don't know if that person goes to a college that's in that consortium, you don't know if there's anything you can do against them or not. So number five is that schools can only investigate the most severe cases of sexual harassment um, instead of stopping violence before a survivor is pushed out of school. Um, and so this number five has to do with a very uh, narrow definition of sexual harassment that changed from the previous guidance. Um, and so... The definition of sexual harassment under these new rulings is any unwelcome conduct that a reasonable person would find so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denies a person equal educational access. So this new narrow definition creates a spectrum of um, bad to the worst, which doesn't protect the survivors that, um, that can't fit that definition. So the sixth part we're going to talk about is that mediation is allowed in cases of sexual assault, rape, and dating or domestic violence for student-on-student -student misconduct. So what this means on college campuses is that it essentially gives the school a way to um, 
try to talk the survivor out of pressing charges and basically try to get the school out of um, having to deal with this and just to dismiss it altogether. So this would be, you know, having somebody sit down with both parties and just try to talk it out and try and see if they can work it out on their own without involving any other sort of investigation. So the seventh one on the Know Your Nine fact sheet um, is the religious schools can claim a Title IX religious exemption even after they were charged with discrimination. So essentially what this means is that schools that have some form of religious exemption already from Title IX are allowed to then push that even further to where they can claim that religious exemption even if they've been charged with discrimination based on the previous guidelines from the title, the old Title IX regulations. So number eight on Know Your Nine is that school's obligations to act on against sexual harassment has been greatly reduced by this ruling. So we talked a little bit about how the definition of sexual harassment has been severely narrowed by this new ruling, but it also affects other sexual harassment complaints. For example, any type of sexual harassment complaint that happens abroad. For example, if two students were studying outside of the United States and uh, an incident of sexual harassment occurred there. Um, And also, um, multiple informal complaints of sexual harassment to a Title IX investigator don't necessarily mean that that investigator has to act on it. And this is another change from um, mandated reporting for Title IX under the old guidance. All right, the last one from this image that we are going to talk about is number nine. Um, So under this Title IX rule, it's now easier for schools to ignore cases of sexual violence and sweep sexual assault under the rug. This rule says that colleges are only required to act if you can tell the right person, like your Title IX coordinator or dean. Um, So this is just kind of a recap of everything else that we've explained so far. Pretty much what this rule means for college campuses is that in the eyes of the school, the sexual assault didn't happen unless it was on campus or reported directly to the Title IX coordinator. So this kind of leaves out a lot of instances of sexual assault um, that are just going to be swept under the rug so that schools just simply don't have to deal with it. Yeah, I think that now that we've gone through this Know Your Nine about the new Title IX rulings, I think that that we should talk about it because obviously as sexual assault and, um, you know, dating violence, domestic violence, um, awareness advocates, these new rulings don't align with what we feel like college campuses should um, should be, be held accountable for. Um, in my opinion, these new rulings um, don't hold perpetrators accountable and uh, they don't hold universities accountable for their students as well as they should. It kind of seems as though the basis behind the new ruling is that allegations of sexual assault make the schools look bad and that's what's more important than the rights of survivors and their students in general. So it's, it's very disappointing as, as somebody working in our field um, to have these changes. And I can't imagine how even more disappointing it must be for um, survivors and students who are residing on or off campuses. 
Yeah. And it's just overall, it's almost seems as if it's a response to a lot of the work that we like the three of us have been doing is working towards creating a culture that is going to believe victims when they do come forward and talk about what they've experienced. And the response then from the federal government has been to say, well, hold on in our country, we would believe in innocent until proven guilty. So here are all these new guidelines to throw at you to make it so that somebody who is reporting a allegation of sexual harassment or sexual assault or sexual misconduct, however they want to define it, there's now all these different hoops they had to try to get through to prove that the assault took place, even though we know most people who are reporting an allegation of sexual harassment or assault are not lying about it. And even though we know that because there are barriers put in place, at least half of victims aren't even reporting the assaults to begin with. These guidelines just make it that much more difficult and Really, like you said, Sierra, it's essentially just being done to make colleges and universities look better. Because if they can sweep these things under the rug, if they can solve them before an actual report gets sent or to get rid of before a report gets actually put through, they don't then have to report that. And then that makes their schools look really good. Yeah, this definitely in in total, these new regulations, you know, when we go through them one by one. We talk about the details of each one, and, and and but you have to realize that every single Title IX investigation is unique, and it has a thousand different details from the one before and after it. And so when we're looking at this in total, what it's doing is creating red tape that is harder and harder and harder for survivors to get the justice that they deserve. Um, and so that's I, I agree with both of you. I think that this is really a disappointing a disappointing turn in Title IX ruling. Now, I will say that this did one small good thing by including stalking domestic violence and dating violence under the examples of what sexual harassment can be for Title IX, but they almost immediately undercut those additions by making the de- definition of sexual harassment also more narrow by right, changing it right. to any unwelcome conduct that a reasonable person would find so severe, pervasive, or objectively offensive that it denies a person equal educational access. But right. who gets to determine that? Right, exactly. The, the schools. schools. <laughs> the schools and the individuals doing the investigations. So I absolutely agree. And I don't know that we have made this clear um, throughout this episode, but Title IX, Title IX itself has to deal with any type of misconduct that is on the basis of sex. So it also includes dating violence, domestic violence, stalking, um, anything that's around the issue of sexual assault, but maybe not sexual assault itself. So I do want to make that clear that Um, We're not just talking about sexual assaults today. Title IX also deals with um, other types of misconduct. It also encompasses like athletics and stuff too. Right. Like it's it's the reason why schools might have a women's soccer team, but not a men's soccer team because they have a men's football team. Yeah. Um, So a couple of things that I want to point out that were particularly disturbing to me about these new rulings. Um, The first one is that under this new Title IX ruling, um, colleges 
will be able to decide whether they use preponderance of evidence or clear and convincing standard as their burden of proof in these investigations. Um, the kicker is that they must use the same standard for all complaints, um, including student on student, student on faculty, faculty on student, faculty on faculty. Um, and so under the previous guidelines, the preponderance of evidence was the standard of, of burden of proof. And so preponderance of evidence is a lighter burden of proof than clear and convincing. Um, and what preponderance of evidence means is that uh, when shown the facts, it is more likely than not that the misconduct occurred. Um, what this new option of clear and convincing does is it gives colleges the option to kind of up that burden of proof limit to make it harder to prove that sexual misconduct occurred. So clear and convincing standard is harder to prove than preponderance of evidence. Um, and it, um, you know, it means that when the facts are shown, um, it is clear that this misconduct occurred, which we know can be difficult in sexual assault and sexual misconduct situations because it's not always clear, but we know that most people who report sexual assault are telling the truth. A way that I've like told people like to help them understand what preponderance of evidence might mean is think of it as like you're at least 51% sure that this allegation took place. Like whatever they're being accused of, you're 51% sure it happened. Right. And clear and convincing, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what percentage we would put at that, but much higher than 51%. <laughs> it's it's almost like that legal standard of you're looking at, okay, did this happen or not? Well, all of the evidence shows that it did. It's like when you're in a def like in a court case, you have to be beyond, beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Is almost what they're looking at here without saying beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, exactly. Um, so another one that I wanted to talk about, because Sierra, you, I think, mentioned it when we were going through Know Your Nine, um, is that colleges aren't obligated to follow a specific time frame for these investigations. Um, you know, the wording in this ruling is that they have to be reasonably prompt um, in, in carrying out each of these steps of the Title IX process. But what, <laughs> what problems can come with a vague term like reasonably prompt? So with as vague as the term reasonably prompt is, there's really no set in stone guideline that anybody has to follow for getting things taken care of. Um, so that means that, you know, there's not like a, hey, we'll have justice for you within X amount of days. It's kind of like, eh, we'll get to it when we get to it. It's not really anything that holds, once again, the school accountable or the perpetrator accountable. Um, because this on top of the mediations that they have to throw in there now and um, the cross-examinations, which are so horrible just to think about. Um, so really just this whole reasonably prompt um, term in general is, is going to be very harmful for um, justice for survivors. Yeah, and I think that cross-examination piece is also really important to like, understand that while, yes, the person that's cross-examining the victim here isn't going to be their perpetrator, their perpetrator gets to determine who is going to be cross-examining them. So, yeah, maybe it's not them, but it's their best friend who's asking those questions. Or maybe it's not the, abuse, the person who's allegedly abused them. It's 
a fraternity brother or it's one of the classmates that they both know. So they're now going to have to be basically telling their whole story to somebody who they didn't want to share their story with. But also if the person going in there to do that, like to do that cross-examination is 100% staunchly believing that the abuse didn't happen, the questions that they're going to be asking that victim are probably not going to be trauma-informed at all to where this whole situation just becomes that much more difficult for that survivor or victim to speak on what has happened to them in a especially in a space that's going to make them feel the most comfortable when they're already going to be talking about something that is not going to be comfortable. You know, that's what I was thinking going through all of these as well is just the the fact that this all allows for more traumatization of the victim. Yeah, I, this cross-examination is is one of the rulings in this that are particularly um, I'm particularly upset about because we do know how much trauma can come from a survivor having to tell and retell and retell their story, um, let alone be, um, you know, cross-examined and poked at by somebody that may be close to the assailant. So, um it's yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to talk about um, that blows my mind with with this new Title IX ruling and is the most unfair of all of it is that schools that have to be Title IX compliant are required under this new ruling to be so by August 14th of this year, August 14th of 2020. Um so for, you know, future's sake, if anybody is listening to this not in the current time, it is May 21st and we are still in a pandemic in the United States. Coronavirus is still out there. Schools are not allowed to be in session. Um, that's a mere three months for schools to um, to make sure that they are going to be following all of these new Title IX um, regulations. And something we didn't talk about was there's other layers to it too, like the amount of personnel that have to be present for a Title IX investigation and how the offices have to be set up. Um, all of this kind of, you know, logistical stuff for universities has to be done in three months' time when nobody's on campuses right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I will say that as as much as this these guidelines don't sound all that great is it's the fact that they are those guidelines the universities and colleges can still choose to take all all of the allegations seriously and follow through them and go through the title line process and almost how the how the dear colleague letter had set it up before but it's up to the colleges and universities if they want to still use those standards that were set at higher levels or if they want to just drop down to the new standards from these guidelines. So it's not saying that all colleges and universities are going to start doing a really bad job around their Title IX, but there are going to be problems. There are going to be things that fall through the cracks. And what I think is important is that colleges that really do care about their students, they will still continue to use those stricter guidelines to make it so that they are making sure that their campuses are safe, making sure that they're any potential victims are going to be taken care of, making sure that 
people want to come to their colleges because they understand that the people running the college takes their safety as a priority, not as a means of checking a box to be compliant to get federal funds. And so in wrapping up today, listen, we know that Title IX um, in these new rulings and regulations are difficult to understand. Um, It takes us a while to understand these ourselves. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that we'll be able to fully grasp everything in these new regulations. And so we really encourage you to do your own research. Know Your Nine is a great organization to um, to get this information at. So you can find them at knowyournine.org. Um, and we'll also be posting a, a either an infographic or a link along with this podcast so you can um, find that easily. But um, we just we do want to acknowledge that this is messy. The new regulations are hard to understand, and we get it. We get it. We're with, we're with you. Thank you all for listening today. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TouchySubsPod. Email us any feedback or questions to TouchySubjectsPodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.